0: Welcome back to The Strong Room, presented by McMillan Estate Planning. A good estate plan is like a vault that safeguards valuable things in an estate like the family cottage. Here's trusted estate planning specialist Sharon McMillan in conversation with Peter Watts of News Talk 770.
1: The cottage is so unique because it's really been created to create joy. It's our downtime, it's our holiday, it's our family time. And so each of us have their own vested interest in why we love that cottage. And so what's so interesting is how do you gift such a wonderful asset and share it with your family uh, to multiple beneficiaries in most cases? And how do you do it in a harmonious way?
2: You have a plan.
1: Well, we have to have a plan, and that's the really interesting area, because obviously dependent on where the particular cottage might reside would be a, a definite factor in how you go about designing the plan that's appropriate for your family. So, you know, frequently, Peter, we've made mention of the B.C. cottage because many of us that live locally in Alberta do own cottages in B.C. And one of the hiccups in B.C., for example, for a cottage is that you have to treat all children, even adult children, equally. Well, what if you wanted to give the cottage to your son who's invested a ton of sweat equity and your your daughter lives abroad, maybe that doesn't make rational sense. So how do you go about overcoming that obstacle in legislation? But more interestingly than that is the U.S., Um, The U.S., many of us, thankfully, have been very wise and bought a cottage for the winter, uh, not just for the summer. And we may go um, and enjoy properties in Montana, for example, or Phoenix in California. So we have a lot of this occurring in Western Canada. One of the challenges specifically, or one of the hiccups in Montana, as an example, for many of our families is because it's so close, I find that people are less Um, apt to research what the rules are about owning U.S. property because it does feel like our back door in Canada. You know, we can drive down there in our car, we're there overnight, and ultimately we enjoy it very much. They
2: have some beautiful lakes, they have some nice golf courses. Uh, Let's go to Montana for a weekend. That's right. And we get into all of these issues about residency and how long you can be there and, and all of these sorts of questions that we've talked about in the past, but if you own A vacation property for any time of the year, those are considerations that need to be accounted for in your plan.
1: Exactly. So one of my more favorite families, I have lots that I love, Um, and this particular family do have a beautiful cottage in uh, Montana. I don't know if I was popular at first when I was having the privilege to work with them, but as I started to learn more about their lifestyle, what they would do is they would work here in Calgary uh, through the week, and then they'd hop in the car on Friday night, get to their property, enjoy the weekends. And then in addition, they would spend like Christmas and Easter and summers um, in Montana. Now, when we started to look at how many calendar days they, they were actually spending per year, we realized very quickly that they were offside. And they were offside and potentially looking at U.S. inheritance tax, which if you're offside, it's not just your c- your US asset base that you have to be concerned or worried about it's also your US and Canadian estate that you need to be worried about and the total of it all could mean you're looking at a 40% taxation on your estate so that's a very costly overnight experience and so what we did alternatively is as bizarre as this may sound they are now traveling to Montana but they're making sure that they cross the border at 1201 in the morning because that does not count as a day then and so they're being Able to still have their weekends there, but they're having the right number of days in accordance with the rules and regulations. It
2: seems to me there's two challenges here. One of them is the t- amount of time you spend in the U.S., right? The other is how you account for the ownership of the property to protect yourself from the Internal Revenue Service.
1: That's right. So traditionally, when we bought cottages here in Canada locally, what we would normally do as a family is we would have the husband and wife purchase the cottage in joint names. And the advantage of doing that in Canada is this. If I pass on, there's an automatic rollover of my cottage share to my spouse and vice versa. And there's no tax consequence. So it works out really well for us in Canada. So you would assume it may work the same in the United States. It does not, unfortunately, Peter. And so people are getting trapped in this. They're often going down and buying that cottage in husband's and wife's names, putting it on a joint title basis. And what they're finding out is when one of the spouse's passes, we actually have estate tax at that time on that half of the asset base. So let's say you've bought a million dollar property as a husband and wife in California, and your spouse passes. Well, now you have a $500,000 value, potentially at 40% taxation, owed to the IRS in the year your h- husband or wife has passed. And so this is a shock or a surprise for many folks that don't know to expect this kind of situation. Now, thankfully, um, we want to inform people that there is a solution alternatively to protect those kinds of sentimental assets like we want to buy in America. And so one of the privileges we have is we lean upon old legislation and old trust law. And what we do is we create a special mechanism that would hold the asset base for the family. And the interesting part of what a trust is, is it's just a legal entity that holds assets. I called it like a holding pot, Peter. But what happens is, A trust doesn't die, only people do. And so because you don't directly own that asset base, what would happen is you avoid that inheritance tax that is so detrimental to the succession of that particular cottage.
0: And Sherry concludes the program with U.S. tax law information of particular interest to Americans living in Canada.
1: Now, in Canada, they're forecasting there's probably about a million Um, American people, and I would definitely agree, I think it was in the Calgary Herald a while back that it said there was over 100,000 that live here. So it's impacting a number of people and there's what I also call the accidental American, people that don't know they're American, but they are. So some of the ways that you could get trapped or tripped up is if your parent is American, you may naturally be American, and there's a calendar that we follow to figure out if you are deemed to be or not.
2: Or you could be a dual citizen which, which has the same impact from the IRS perspective.
1: That's right. Now, another really tricky one, and it's specifically important to Calgarians, I find, is the green card. Because people will say to me, Well, I was down there, you know, I was working with an energy company, I worked there four or five years, I had a green card, I came back. And then my next question is this Peter, did you relinquish it formally? Because if you didn't, you potentially have to pay an exit tax now to get out of the America.
2: That raises the number well beyond 100000 in a market like this one.
1: It certainly does because of the energy sector that we're facing here in Calgary. So I think it's really, really important to understand the rules because you can go about designing your estate plan, but if you don't start your estate plan from the position of what citizenships you truly do hold, you're going to plan your estate inappropriately. So it's like you got to know what footing you're sitting on first. And... One of the more, uh, Manchurian, uh, acts that have been passed and now we're following is an act called FACTA. But it basically forces all the financial institutes worldwide, if they want to deal and do business with America, to report you as an American citizen to the IRS. So for example, if I have a bank account here at Royal Bank, and I'm an American citizen, and they're aware of that, they're going to tell the IRS. Now, if I'm not filing my tax returns, I'm going to get caught in that particular legislation. And it's our obligation as an American person to be filing each calendar year. So there's many people that really haven't understood the severity of consequence. They're making it a criminal act if you don't file. Um, and you know, we have elders, people in their 80s or 90s who've never filed because they've been here so long. Unfortunately, we need to get them compliant. Now, there's a new proposed legislation, as you may mention, and I view it just as another hammer that the IRS is going to endeavor to use to find us that aren't uh, compliant. And what they're suggesting is the rule is that if you're an American citizen and you enter the America, you are supposed to present your American passport. You're not supposed to present a Canadian one, even if you have a dual. Then what they'll have the privilege to do at the border crossing is to confirm if you have a social insurance number and if you're up to date on your taxes. And if they find you're not, they can seize your passport, and this is the new proposed legislation in in fact, they could trap you in America before uh, you are able to leave and they return the passport until you are compliant and file your tax returns and get up to date for your tax burden Boy. so you know this is not um to be taken lightly, and especially a lot of our American families that come into Canada and resided here winter. we go wintering in America. it's part of our lifestyle, and we don't want to get caught out in this kind of situation so I think this is a whole area of misunderstanding. It's an area that you do need professional advice in. I mean, every situation is unique, and every person's situation has to be assessed properly by CAs and accountants and lawyers. But uh, ultimately, we want to be doing that assessment for each family so that they're certain that they're compliant, so they don't have a surprise when they go down to Phoenix.
2: It's important to note that this is proposed legislation at this point. It is not something that is currently law. It is not even something that's on the order paper. It is merely proposed legislation in Washington that would cover U.S. citizens living outside the continental United States, including living in Canada. Uh, But as you point out, you could be a Canadian citizen with a green card to work in the U.S. for a number of years, and if you haven't renounced that green card, you could still be vulnerable. So all of a sudden, we're talking about a considerable number of people um, in in uh, that that potentially live in southern Alberta, um, who could be affected by this if this legislation is passed?
1: You're absolutely right, Peter. Now there is one part of the legislation that they did pass that people should be aware of as well, and that is the moment that we owe more than fifty thousand dollars of us. estate tax or income tax on an annualized basis. If we didn't have a social insurance number registered with the IRS, they have the legal right to seize your passport at this moment in time. And so, you know, for many people that own businesses, for example, I mean, it's not uncommon that they would owe $50,000 of tax, let's say in Canada. Well, then the IRS is going to view them as owing $50,000 of tax as well. You didn't file, all of a sudden you can't enter or leave the country. So you can see the severity of it. I don't know how far this will go, but what the experience that we've been observing is over the last decade, it hasn't become more genteel. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> if anything, the hammers have got harder and harder and harder, and they really are trying to pursue those families that have a U.S. issue within them.
0: A reminder the McMillan Estate Planning Life and Legacy Seminar is coming up Thursday evening, June 25th. You can register for this complimentary event by calling 403 266 6464 during business hours or registering online at macmillanestate.com. Macmillan spelled M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N. This is The Strong Room.